So for the last couple of weeks, you've heard us talk about investing 24 hours over the next 10 weeks uh, into your relationship with God, along with other people in a community group. Well, I want to add my voice to that conversation, to the encouragement, because I am very excited to start my community, community group again. We have not met for several weeks over the holidays. Looking forward to it. These guys, they pray for me. They support me. They encourage me. They stretch me. They're not like me at all, which is really good. They grow me. And I want you to experience the same thing. So I'm actually excited to get back into my group. I'm also excited because there's a couple new groups that have formed for this winter term. Uh, in fact, I'm looking at Paul and Patty Quartuccio, who will be leading a group in Shelton. And then uh, Andrea and Darren Fodor will be leading a group in my hometown of Monroe. And it, it is so awesome because if you can go to a community group in your locale in your town, you not only kind of build into each other, but you can make a dent on your community. And so I thought it'd be really cool if we kind of pray for them and kind of commission them as new groups for both the leaders and the, the people who will be joining and populating their group. And you can do your part. We can, we can pray God's blessing on favor on them. Would you like to do that? In fact, if you're near uh, the Quartuccios, and I don't know if the photos are in the house, but it, uh, you know, just put your hand on them. And uh, but we're all gonna pray God's blessing on them. So just bow your heads and let's pray. So Father in heaven, we, uh, we look forward to what you're gonna do, this new term, this new community group term, these 10 weeks. We know you do some of your best work when we gather in community and open your word and challenge each other and encourage each other and pray for each other and support each other. So we pray that in these two groups, you would equip these leaders, great couples. We, we pray you give them all the tools to lead well, shepherd well. More than that, we pray that you populate their group with people who are eager and hungry to grow and that they would, there would be this mutual encouragement that would help everybody in the group grow and that this group would not only be great for each other, but it would actually infect the communities they live in. So we pray that we, you would have your way and you do a great work in these two groups as well as all the others that are gonna meet in just a few weeks. That's our prayer. We pray this corporately in the powerful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. Awesome, uh, needless to say, if you live in Shelton or uh, Monroe or anywhere in the vicinity and you're not in a group yet, uh, there's information at a booth out in the Welcome Center there uh, today. Get some information, they'll give you everything you need to know to join a group. Again, invest the 24 hours over the 10 weeks. It may just change your life. Good? All right, so uh, last week I had mentioned that when I ask people like what they want to experience, how they want to grow in the coming year, the most common response I get, maybe because I'm a pastor and they know that, is that they want to hear God's voice. They want to hear him more clearly. They want to discern his direction for their lives. They want to experience him speaking to them personally. I love that. That charges me up. That's exactly what I want. Well, we're looking at three passages in the Gospel of John, a different one each week, where God audibly speaks once as God the Father last week, and this week and next week, we're gonna hear the resurrected Jesus speak. Interesting though, each time, the intended audience did not recognize that it was the voice of God speaking to them at first. In today's passage, the resurrected Jesus speaks right outside the empty tomb. But the person Jesus speaks with does not recognize that it's him at first. This passage brings me some comfort. I like it because 
Man, if Jesus' closest friends didn't discern or hear his voice clearly all the time, it brings me some great comfort because there's, there's certainly a lot of times, most times, when I don't hear him clearly, it's either cloudy or I'm oblivious to it. I'm not tuned in to what God is saying. But our goal is not to hear him perfectly. It's just to be able to distinguish his voice above all the other competing voices. So last week, we identified some of the main reasons why we have difficulty discerning God's voice. You know, we recognize, we uncovered last week that we have trouble believing that God speaks in a way that's outside of our experience or in a way that seems strange or odd to us, one that doesn't make sense to our rational, logical minds. We forget, though, that God is supernatural, that his ways are higher than ours. So it doesn't have to make sense to us. We uncovered a second reason that we question in hearing God's voice. It plays on our own insecurities, thinking that God wouldn't speak to someone like us, someone who's pretty ordinary, someone who's sinful and broken, like you and me. We believe this lie, even though the Bible declares from every page that God loves to speak to sinful, broken people, his children. We just have to start to believe the truth about ourselves, that God has a desire to speak to the ones he loves, the ones Jesus died for, people just like you and me. So God continually speaks. We're just learning how to listen a little bit better. So the passage I wanna look at this morning is found in the Gospel of John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Now this passage is normally preached at an Easter service. In fact, I heard Rob Ginta preach a killer sermon from this passage last sunrise service. I'm gonna steal some of his material and talk to you this morning. And uh, I wanna, it's preached at Easter because it takes place immediately following the resurrection. So I'm gonna set the stage for you. Here's the action taking place. Jesus has just been crucified and he's been in the tomb three days. And his followers are still in disbelief that their friend, that their teacher, that the anointed one is gone. It's now Sunday morning. The Jewish Sabbath is now over, and so one of his followers, Mary Magdalene, she heads to the tomb probably to anoint the body of Jesus because they had run out of time the afternoon he was crucified. So we pick up the action in verse one of John chapter 20. I'll read. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. I'll continue reading in verse 11. Now Mary Magdalene stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white 
seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. The angels asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not realize it was Jesus. Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, Mary said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Let's stop the action for a minute. I gotta stop here. Anybody else see the irony here? Here's, Jesus, here's Mary looking for Jesus. The text tells us that she saw Jesus standing there but did not realize it was him. Maybe because she was crying, maybe her vision was clouded by her tears, maybe. Maybe the, the rising sun was a glare in her eyes and she couldn't tell and he was just a shadowy figure, don't know. Maybe she just hadn't had her morning coffee yet, more likely. Actually, more likely, you know what it is? She had just seen two angels in the tomb lying where the body had been laid. That, that would freak anybody out. So she's still kind of confused and bewildered and freaked out by the angels. I mean, there's a lot to process this early in the morning, don't you think? So then, I think Jesus kind of, I think he kind of plays with her a little bit. Kind of trying to have some fun with his friend. So, he saw her look right at him. So he's like, he asked her a question. He says, why are you crying? Who are you looking for anyway? Fully expecting that she's gonna say, oh, Jesus, right? But in her confusion, in her anxiety, in her grief, <laughs> she mistakes him for the gardener. She didn't even recognize his voice. Did you catch that? He says, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She didn't even realize then it was her friend and teacher. I mean, Jesus says this, it's a setup. He knew exactly why she was there, who she was looking for. Then the text says that Jesus says her name, Mary. More likely he said, Mary, with the intonation, Mary, it's me, Jesus. Now she recognizes his voice. At first she didn't, but she certainly recognizes her, her good friend's voice now. So Mary turns toward Jesus, grabs onto him, and cries out in her own native language, Rabboni, teacher! And Jesus immediately says to her, don't cling to me. Don't cling to me. He doesn't say it because he's annoyed or because she's invaded his personal space. But he goes on to say this. Don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. The freshly resurrected Jesus continues by saying, go instead, Mary, go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. That's odd, isn't it? Why did Jesus tell Mary to find the disciples and say those words? Uh, those words. I am ascending to the Father, my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What is that all about? Why say it that way? 
Could it be that Jesus was sending the disciples a message? Or maybe reminding them of something he's already said to them, saying it in a way that would jar their memory. That's exactly what he's doing. It's exactly what Jesus was doing. He chose those words specifically. Jesus was reminding his disciples of what he had been saying to them for over a week, the previous week, the the final week of his life, his earthly life. I mean, you flip back a few pages in your Bible, you'll see that John's gospel records these final week conversations that Jesus had with his disciples. They're all through chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, using this language. See, over and over, Jesus was telling his disciples that their relationship with him changes. It changes after he goes to the Father. Everything changes once I return to the Father. Jesus tells them that although they're grieving now, it's good for them. It's good that he returns to the Father. Good for them. In one of these final week conversations, back in a couple of pages in John 16, starting in verse five, here's what Jesus says to his disciples. Jesus says, but now I'm going to my Father who sent me. None of you even asked me where are you going. Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But I tell you the truth. It's for your good that I go away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Skip down to verse 22, same chapter. Jesus is still speaking. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not for, asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf, no. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world, I'm going back to the Father, to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus is telling his disciples that their relationship changes when he returns to the Father. No longer will they run to him and ask him to act on their behalf. No longer running to Jesus to fix the problem or answer the question or to approach the Father for their sake. Jesus says that's no longer necessary. They can go directly to the Father and ask him themselves because he loves them. They have full access, the same access to God the Father as Jesus does. Just ask him my name, Jesus says. Think of it, think of it. As believers, we have the same access and same authority as Jesus when you ask in his name. That's why Jesus said, go tell my, the disciples, I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. It's the truth, you know. It's the truth. It's a result of the finished work of the cross. 
that we have access to God the Father because of what Jesus did on the cross on our behalf. Not only was your sin paid for, but we gained access to the Father. We have the same standing as Jesus, favored sons, cherished daughters of our heavenly Father. So Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, and for you and I, to you and I for that matter, don't cling to me. Don't cling to our old relationship where you ran to me for everything, where you are helpless, hopeless, powerless, and pathetic. Jesus says, I went to the cross so you could be redeemed. Redeemed means, means restored to original design, original value. I've put my spirit in you. The same spirit raised me from the dead. That's what you have at your disposal. You can represent me. You can build my kingdom. You can do what I did. He says, you actually can do previously what only I could do. You now can do the same and more because of the one who lives inside you. Jesus said all this. You don't believe me? Check out what Jesus said to his disciples in one of those last week conversations, John chapter 14, verse 11. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. There it is again, I'm going to the Father. I can tell by your faces you're having a hard time believing this. You think it's arrogant, right? You think it's presumptuous. You think it's too good to be true that, that we would do what Jesus had been doing and, and more. I remind you it was Jesus who said this and I tend to believe him. Amen? So here's the deal. So Jesus says to you and me, don't cling to me. Don't hold on to our old relationship because there's more. Since I've been to the cross, since I've gone back to the Father, there's more for you. You can now go directly to your heavenly Father Rather than coming running to me, he will answer you, he will empower you, he will give you everything that you used to depend on me for. You will be my hands and feet. You will represent me, Jesus says. You'll have the same authority and same power. Just ask him my name. The Father will grant it. Think of it. With his spirit in you, you and I, we bring a light that dispels darkness we bring freedom to those in bondage. We bring hope to those who have given up. That's what we get to do, that we bring it. Man, it's a privilege, it's an honor. Think about it, you and I, we get to hear and obey the voice of God. That is amazing. We don't have to, we get to. We get to do this. Do you realize, have you ever thought about how privileged we are that we get to hear God's voice and then obey God's voice? Now that we've been saved by Jesus, We've been adopted as sons and daughters. We have the same authority, same access to the Father. You know what we get to do? We get to help others, co-labor with God, inspire hope, demonstrate faith, build the kingdom, defeat the enemy, fulfill our purpose, represent Jesus, dispense the love of Christ, and become more like him. Man, we are blessed people. We are totally blessed, yes. Man, that's, we represent him. That's why we're called the body of Christ. We represent Jesus here on earth. We're his hands and feet. We co-labor with God. You don't have to. You get to. As a child of his. It's amazing. The next question you should be asking is how? So how do I do this? 
How do I represent Jesus? How do I do what he did, dispense the love of Christ? How do I fulfill my purpose? Countless ways, countless ways. You can talk to him about that. I wanna talk about four. I wanna talk about four ways to represent Jesus. Four opportunities, four ministries that we all can do, all of us. Because they're not dependent on gifting, personality, calling, or ability. So we are without excuse. You and I can leave here and we can perform these four ministries this week, guaranteed. You don't have to be anything special, you just have to have someone with his spirit inside you. Four ways we can demonstrate the love of Christ to a watching world. First one we'll call the ministry of the mundane. Just look for simple ways to serve people. Just help people. Look around for ways to add value and to bless people and then do it. Doesn't need to be anything great or big. In fact, Mother Teresa was quoted as saying, you don't need to do great things. Just do small things with great love. That's our calling. Give yourself to people who bring you no clout, no strokes. It was Jesus who said, actually, the greatest among you is the one who serves. And the Apostle Paul, you know what he said? He reminds us that whatever we do, word or deed, you do it with all your heart because really, ultimately, it's Jesus that you're serving. Ministry of the mundane. Second way that you and I can leave here when represent Jesus, we'll call the ministry of being interrupted. You could call this one the ministry of availability. Jesus modeled the principle that people matter most, more important than what you're currently doing. He was constantly being interrupted. To put your agenda in, on hold and serve others, to listen to, talk with, pray for, whatever the need is in front of you. I'll warn you though, interruptions rarely come at a convenient time, but it's often a way that God finds out whose agenda is more important, yours or his. Takes no skill, no talent, just a willing spirit. See, because you're, when you're willing to be interrupted, availability trumps ability. Make yourself available and just do it. God is just looking for someone, he's looking for anyone who's willing to table their agenda for his. Next way we represent Jesus, we'll call the ministry of bearing. The ministry of bearing. You ever notice Jesus was always loving on people who were difficult to love. Zacchaeus, the miserly tax collector. The demon-possessed guy who hung around the tombs didn't like wearing shackles or clothing. The Samaritan woman at the well. <laughs> Her five ex-husbands would tell you she's difficult to love. His 12 disciples, they were no picnic, right? Rugged fishermen, political zealots, former tax collectors, not easy to love guys. Scripture even records there's a time when Jesus loved on Peter's mother-in-law when she was ill. Mother-in-law. We all know they can be kind of difficult to love sometimes, right? Not mine, of course. Hi, Mom. I know you're watching the live stream. Looking good. Jesus loved on difficult people. I would tell you, the surest demonstration that you know Jesus is when you love someone who's difficult to love. You're never more like Jesus than when, than when you love the unlovable. 
I'll remind you too that it was Jesus who told his disciples that when you love the least of these, when you love on those who are the most difficult to love, again, you're really loving him. Final suggestion, how to represent Jesus, we'll call this the ministry of brokenness. Man, God loves to lose your, use your weakness, use your brokenness for ministry. That which formerly brought you shame brings him glory. Because he's the one who heals, restores, redeems, and transforms broken lives into testimonies of his goodness, of his grace, of his mercy. No one's beyond his reach. In fact, we've built an entire ministry here at BlackRock. We call it Living Free. Each living free leader is someone whose brokenness brought them closer to Jesus. He heals and restores, and the leader can now offer hope to someone else in the midst of their brokenness and grief and trial. It's a beautiful thing. God gets all the credit for transformation, and we get all the benefit of being used by him. We don't have to. We get to. See, there are countless ways to serve and love people in the name and power of Jesus. You and I, we represent Jesus to a world that is so fearful, it is so confused. Man, your life is the sermon. The way you live is the message. People see Jesus in your life, in your words, in your actions, in your eyes. They see someone who has died to self and found a better way to live, right? They see a peace and a joy and a contentment that's so winsome, so compelling, they want what you have. They see a light and power in you that others do not carry. See, you carry a light that dispels darkness. You carry a truth that frees people, frees them from the lies that shackle them. And this life flows out of you. You know why? Because you're filled. He has filled you. you know, it's no longer you who lives, but it's Christ Jesus who lives through you. You live out of overflow. It comes from the living water that's inside you. It's the life we were intended to live. It's the life Jesus modeled. It's the life now available to you and me because he's gone to the Father. See, Jesus said, don't cling to me. You have access to the Father and a spirit who lives inside you. We don't do this on our own. We, we live this way because the one inside us helps us, empowers us. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us, to always be with us. That's why he put his spirit inside us. His word says that everything has been given to us and we have everything we need for life and godliness. That is, God promises to help all of his children who want to represent him to people who are desperate to know that the God of the universe loves them, cares for them, wants to speak to them. Are you familiar with the different ways the Bible claims that God helps us and empowers us to live like Jesus? I took these promises right out of the Bible, right out of God's word, because God has already spoken to you and me. You know what he says? God promises to help us. He promises to help us, keep us, protect us, cover us, rescue us, free us, open doors for us, make ways for us, speak to us, comfort us, grow us, sustain us, provide for us, be with us, show us, yeah, amaze us, enable us, mold us, invite us, empower us, embolden us, encourage us, reach us, favor us, change us, heal us, reward us, anoint us, seal us, develop us, pursue us, lead us, feed us, guide us, forgive us, strengthen us, and love us. 
I tell you what, why don't you stand up? Because I want to remind you, we can build our life on these promises, right? This is the kind of God we have. He is so worthy. He is so good to us, his children. See, this is the upgraded relationship that Jesus pointed to that we now have since Jesus went to the cross and returned to the Father. He says, this is the life you're to lead. Follow my example, live it by the power of the Spirit because I've gone to the Father, he'll do for you what he's done for me. And maybe the best way to ingrain it in our heart is to sing it right now, amen? We wanna thank you for watching and listening to our sermons online. And we hope that uh, you will be inspired to live more like Jesus through these. Please check out blackrock.org for more information about our church. Know that you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And also uh, know that you can give uh, to BlackRock and to our ministry through PushPay, through our mobile app, and on our website. Your uh, donations and your support of our ministry allows us to have uh, these videos online and for us to impact our community.